This show is brought to you by Nice Mug. Nice Mug is the only mug made entirely out of ice. For more information, go to nicemug.com and enter the coupon code SAUNA for 10% off your entire purchase. Hello, Sauna Talk listeners. Uh, welcome to another installment of Sauna Talk. And I'm super pleased today to be joined by Mikkel Oland. Uh, Mikkel, he's uh, in San Francisco right now. Uh, I'm recording this in Minneapolis. Um, uh, he's an award-winning American photographer and is known for work in the early days of digital photography. His documentary photographs have been exhibited in major institutions around the world. Olin is the author of books featuring his own photojournalism, as well as works on digital imaging and various Adobe Photoshop products. Uh, today we're going to touch on his work with digital photography, yet the main area of discussion today is, of course, sauna and sweat. Uh, Mikkel's iconic book. Uh, 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 Mikkel, you published this in 1978, and, and welcome, by the way. Well, thank you, Glenn. It's nice to, nice to be talking to you today. Right on, right on. 1978, uh, your, that was your first book called Sweat. And if, it's, if I'm correct, it's a culmination uh, of a three-year travel and photo journalistic tour of the world's various bathing customs. Yeah, it's a, that's a while ago now. Seventy-eight seems like yesterday to me, but uh, yeah, I just kind of just gotten out of college and was looking for work, and there wasn't any work. Boy, does that sound familiar nowadays? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I just decided that you know, yeah, I'll just go ahead and do a book. I was already in love with. So yeah, that that was my what I did in my early twenties. And uh, you personally take part in many cultural sweat bathing traditions uh, in the countries you visited. And, you know, I'll, I'll list a couple and just to sort of tee the ball up here. Uh, the Finnish sauna, the Russian banya, uh, the Islamic hammam. And was that uh, in Turkey? That The Islamic hammam is found all over the Middle East, but I was just mostly in Cyprus and in Turkey, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in Japan, uh, Mushubu. Uh, Mexico with the Tamascal and American Indian and Eskimo sweat lodges. You've probably been asked this a lot, Mikkel, but at the time, which one was your favorite or most memorable experience? Oh, you know, that's, yeah, you're right. I've been asked that a lot, and it's a hard question, Glenn, but, I, you know, I've, I've come up with an answer that I, I think is probably the most honest answer, and I'll, I'll tell you right now that my favorite sweat is the one I took last and the one I anticipate taking next. <laughs> I got it. So you uh, you don't have a preference. Uh, sweat to you carries a, you know, casts a wide net of, of different sweat practices. Uh, you don't have an intrinsic sort of preference of a style of sweat. No, it's a little bit like like food. I mean, it's it. There's times when you when you enjoy a what I consider like a what I call comfort food, and there's other times when you want something a little more exotic and and maybe a salad. And and this for me, the the sweats really um, they kind of speak to a variety of things, including the weather, including the culture I'm in. There's it, it's just hard to say what style I like the best because it's really kind of it, it, I, it's appropriate to where I am at that time like when I'm in, in in northern climates like in Finland or Norway or even Minnesota when it's snowy and cold outside and, and there's a kind of a culture around what which is a, a kind of a log cabin or a wood line cabin with some kind of the rock heating unit. Um, I, re I really like that. But when I'm someplace else, like when I'm traveling in Turkey and I go into one of the hammams, which has a little bit, actually a lot different architecture, um, that's, that's what I, re I really respond to that there. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I, when I'm backpacking, I love popping up a trail sweat, like uh, modeled after the Native American sweat lodge and, and doing a sweat that way. And it, I'm, I'm really eclectic. But the, the, but here but Glenn, here's the thing. 
what defining what a sweat bath is. A sweat bath is differentiates from, let's say, uh, a hot bath or a shower, and that you have a, a some kind of a chamber where the air is heated. And its purpose is to induce sweat or perspiration. That's kind of the broad, general definition of a sweat bath. And then you go from there into your varieties. So I, you know, I, I'm into sweat bathing, and then all the variations underneath. Got it. So maybe we could ask a question a little different. You ready? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, do you have uh, a sweat bathing uh, system? On your premises where you're sitting now, like in your backyard? Well, I, I've had a, a tent sauna in our backyard before, which is I actually was sold from, from a company in Finland. It was actual, like a family-style tent with a wood-burning stove that we just set up in the backyard and with, with a bench. It was, it was wonderful. Um, don't have that anymore. Um, very lucky to have worked with a, a a group of people here in the in neighborhood when they were renovating the local uh, public swimming pool, and we talked them into putting a, a really nice Finnish style sauna uh, as part of the the swimming complex, and it was the first time ever that. Uh, the we got them to uh, agree to put in a um, a sauna in a public space here in San Francisco, and it's just down the block, and I can go and do my my swim and take a sauna at, oh, in a nice. public uh, in a public space. And frankly, I really enjoy that because what a great way to to create help create neighborhood and community. I sit there and sweat with people who I normally wouldn't wouldn't interact with. And I interact with them in a real, in a really positive, uh, life-affirming way. And that's, I think that that's just my favorite way of doing the the sweat is is when you get the, the block into the sauna rather than having the best sauna on the block. Ah, oh, that's great. That's great. I almost want to get my pen and write that one down. Um, that could be the title of this uh, podcast so far, Michael. Uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, then uh, you know hypothetically. If you were to somehow stumble upon maybe uh, $20,000, $25,000 and by a gift, and part of the stipulation of the gift is that you uh, need to build uh, some sort of uh, sweat bath on your premises, uh, am I sensing you would reluctantly do that because of this wonderful public sauna you have just down the block from you? Well, Glenn, I have to explain where I'm sitting right now. I'm sitting in probably the densest neighborhood in san francisco north beach it's right near chinatown it's uh, i'm on telegraph hill near fisherman's wharf we are literally the most dense part of a very dense city so when you talk about density and talk about where i'm living right now where i'm sitting right now then public saunas on the block where everybody shares that space makes a lot of sense now my house in Norway, and as you know, I have a house in Norway and a house here, so we split our time between Norway and here. The house in Norway sits on a river, and it's a very small town, and on the other side of the river is nothing but a forest. So there, if you gave me that $25,000, uh, I would probably, and we already have a nice sauna there, but I, I could see very well uh, up, upping that up a little a little bit you know, nicer sauna because that's it's a different environment and they're having your own sauna uh, makes some more sense but here in the city it's it's different I think I think public baths are the way to go here great great and you've lived in the Bay Area most all your life right well actually I've lived a lot of places I was born here in San Francisco uh, but uh, grew up back and forth to Norway where my father's from and also lived in all over Europe, lived in Prague, uh, where today, which is February 3rd, uh, in 1992, I met my wife. And we're, this is, we're celebrating our 24th anniversary today. Um, so we lived in Prague together for, 20, for a couple of years, lived in Washington, D.C. For, for four years, and lived all over the place. Well, but always end up coming back to San Francisco, cause, uh, and, and, of course, Norway, two of my favorite places on the earth. 
Fabulous. Um, so what I was leading up to is during, say, the 70s or 70s, or I suppose even in the late 60s, uh, and again, your book, Sweat, was published in 1978. Around that period of time, uh, wasn't there a, uh, some sort of a, you could call it a spike in sauna or sweat bathing as, as something vogue or a cool thing uh, during that period? Uh, did you sense that at that time? You know, that's such an interesting question. It's a um, really interesting question. Yes, to answer your question, the 70s was a very exciting time for uh, what we call countercultural uh, um, uh, views of the world. And there, were, there was a lot of interest, renewed interest, I might add, in bathing and public bathing. Hot tubs became in vogue. Um, sweat lodges. A lot of a lot of people I know were doing sweat lodges and sweat lodge ceremonies. Uh, the the public saunas were doing pretty well. Yeah, there was a spike, and I certainly uh, took advantage of that. It was one of the reasons I could get my book published. Uh, there was a magazine called Wet Magazine that was being published by Leonard Corin. There was a lot of bathing interest in the 70s. But let me just tell you something that happened. It's a little bit of a tragic tale. Is that By the end of the 70s, early 80s, the AIDS epidemic uh, hit, uh, hit North America and Europe. And literally, and, and just almost overnight, just shut down bathing. It, it shut down public bathing. It shut down... Uh, the whole idea of communal, uh, any kind of communal uh, uh, bathing or, or, or gathering, uh, and it, it just shot it right, it shut it down. And all through the 80s, uh, we went into kind of a mini dark ages when it came to, to bathing culture because of people were scared. They were terrified that they were going to get AIDS by being in the, in the sauna with somebody else. Do you see or notice an increase in sauna or sweat? bathing awareness uh, today? Is it different from that time today? Oh, yeah. We're back into the Renaissance time. It was, it started, it started in the mid-90s and I, I noticed it because my phone started to ring uh, almost every week uh, uh, or, you know, even more often than that at times. From all over the world, people were um, asking questions about different forms of bathing and there were a lot there were questions at that time mostly it was like you know how do i how, how would i do this if i was going to create a hammam and that believe it or not that that became a surprise to me that that aspect of bathing even in north america i was getting calls from texas and the east coast and oregon washington people who wanted to create a hammam which is the, like the turkish bath um, and then so the Russians just to, inter calling. just to interrupt you on that, like uh, drilling into that a little further, who was calling you? Were they uh, Americans uh, that maybe traveled uh, or were they expats that came here and wanted to recreate part of their history? Um, good how, question. How did that work? That's a really good question. There were, it was a whole gamut of people. Sometimes, like, the Russians were oftentimes uh, immigrants from Russia who had transplanted to America and just desperately wanted to get the, the Russian Banya culture going in America. Um, and some of them were just people that had traveled in the Middle East and had really enjoyed the Turkish-style bath, or Islamic hammam, as it's you know, more, more properly called. Um, it was a whole mixed bag of people. Sometimes they were just, you know, Americans who were interested in, in starting up a bath or, or starting up a public bath. So anyway, this was the 90s, mid-90s, and then it just it just accelerated. And the fun thing for me, Glenn, was that it, all, a lot of this talk, and at that time there was a lot of talk, but a lot of the talk became translated into action. And by you know, the mid well, 2005, 2010, uh, up to now, I've just people are actually doing what they're talking about. They're creating these these wonderful spas and and um, public baths, and uh, it's it's so exciting. I think that's it's it's one of the most exciting times in in you know in, in terms of bathing and sweat bathing that I can ever imagine. Fantastic. Um, I recently partook in a Temescal session in Tulum, Mexico, and I found it fascinating that two completely separate cultures, in this case Mayan and Finnish, uh, could develop parallel sweat bathing practices. Each centuries old traditions, both different, yet common in that you sweat. 
it's amazing how the spiritual connectivity of each is interwoven and like deeply important within each other's culture. I'm sure you hit with this same realization uh, back to 1978 in your travels. So I'm teeing the ball up for you. I mean, which came first, like the realization or the desire to write the book? Uh, that's, that's, that brings me back to a really exciting time in my life when I was living in Finland uh, in Helsinki in 1975. And I had started researching what I thought would be a book on the Finnish sauna. Uh, but I had also been informed earlier by having taken a sweat lodge. Uh, but I, it's just, it's, it's so funny how the mind works. You know, you can have you uh, for a long time and, and then, and then one day you, you connect all the dots and, and that's kind of what happened to me in, in Helsinki. And I, re I remember the day as if it was yesterday. I, it was an epiphany. I'd been uh, spending the afternoon at the Finnish Sauna Society. They had this wonderful, wonderful um, collection of, of saunas outside, just outside of Helsinki. Um, and they had, they had, at the time, had a really nice library that I was using for research. And I was walking away, uh, I finished my, some of my research for the day, and then it just hit me. I went, oh, my God, this is a this is a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, not only because at, at that point it was more kind of, like I said, they were just dots that hadn't been connected. And I realized that this is a worldwide phenomenon and it still exists today. It wasn't just like, you know, writing about something that happened 2000 years ago with the Roman baths. It was like, no, no, these things are happening all over right now. And then it, it was just like a light bulb went off, and I said, mm. "I'm going to go, and I'm going to visit all these places, and I'm going to, I'm going to connect all these dots, and and come up with a kind of a, I guess, a, a theory about how sweat bathing is as as natural to humans as the baking of bread and the and the fermenting of, of the grape. I mean, it's just something that pops up wherever we are as humans." Mm -hmm. And at separate, uh, independent of each other. There, there was no internet. There was no even in the day. There were no ships passing from one continent to the other. Uh, it's fascinating how the the human culture developed all over the world, and sweat bathing is interwoven, as I say, is a, is a part of the culture. Each culture. Yeah, the, back in the '70s, there were were a lot of anthropologists, not a lot, but I, a few anthropologists who had written about the, that. Was more the kind of the, the view of of how things happened was by by some kind of migration, and and there were some theories that the Finns had introduced it to the Native Americans, or the Native Americans introduced it to the Finns, and everybody was trying to find ways to dots by by actual movement of of of, of a culture, and that's when. It just didn't make sense to me. It, you know, it, it became more more clear to me that this was, as you say, something in, in almost innate. We have this this drive, and it, it and it just happens wherever we are, regardless. It, it doesn't need somebody else from another culture telling you to do it. You just you create your own type of sweat bath. Now, I want to add to this one of the areas in the world that I didn't find the sweat bath, and I and I found it all over the world. But there's a band around the equator uh, where where you don't really have native sweat bathing culture because just because of the climate i mean it's just it's so it's constantly humid and constantly warm there's right. no it, it, i just didn't find a sweat bathing culture outside of just when you go outside you sweat you know so it's already happening you don't need to go into a room to sweat no, no question and uh, <clears throat> you know it could be uh, before uh, modern plumbing and what have you i mean there is a, a purely out taking the whole cultural thing off to the side, a very practical need for sweat bathing. It was the way and the place to get clean. Yeah, yeah, and it felt good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's not discount that. You know, I don't know. You know, being clean was as important as it. It just it felt good, and it, and it connected you. You know, anybody that's been in a sauna or any sweat bath knows that it's a little bit of a altered consciousness. You you go someplace else, not only physically but mentally, and I think that that's also kind of an innate human drive is to 
to have to experience or want to experience alternate consciousness states, mm-hmm. and we've done that throughout time through either drugs or 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 physical experiences that take us out of our normal you know everyday life. And I think that that just the sweat lodge or the sweat bath or the sound all fits into that into that category. It's a it's a place where you go where you, you alter your you're, you're altering yourself a little bit, and I think that's. That's really a basic human um, drive or need. Mm. So how often do you sauna going down the block to your local uh, uh, YMCA, is it? Well, no, it's a, it's a North Beach pool. It's a public pool. Public Anybody pool? can go there. It's, it's not a club or anything. I, I, I used to go there like three times a week. Uh, I, I've just recently joined a club that's called the Dolphin Club that's another few blocks farther, and it takes me to the, the San Francisco Bay where I'm, I'm a swimmer, and I'm able to swim now in the bay um, and get out and take the, the sauna, which, which is another wonderful experience at the Dolphin Club. And I go there three, four times a week. Fantastic. Tell us uh, and tell our listeners here a little bit about that routine, you know, from the moment you show up to the moment you're toweled off and dried off and walking home. Well, first of all, the the bay right now is about I would say fifty one degrees, so it's it's a it's a cold plunge, and I start with the, uh, about a mile swim in the bay, and that brings my body temperature pretty far down. Bathing um, cap, swimsuit? No, just a just a cap. That's all. No uh, wetsuit or anything. Okay. Uh, so once I get out of the uh, the cold plunge, if you will, the swim, I go into the into the sauna, and this time of year, generally it's packed, of course, because anybody that's been in the bay and experienced the cold uh, water is going to go into the sauna, and once we're in the sauna, or once I'm in the sauna with this with this group of, of men, it's separate. The women have their own sauna on the other side. Um, it's unbelievable the conversations that come up i mean it's every time i'm just amazed at what happens the sauna talk you call that's truly sauna talk there and it's so fun because these are people from all over all over the city uh, all over the bay area actually all several generations of people so and just the conversations range from from very mundane yesterday oh i'm going to try that place to philosophical questions about you know whatever <laughs> it just it, it's so much fun and then after that then it's just a, a shower and, and and pretty much the uh, that's the end of that uh, experience but it's a it's a real complete cycle of the of the of the swim and then the sauna the conversation um, it's uh, I can't I can't describe it as anything other than just um, absolutely essential. I can't imagine living without that in my life. So one sauna round generally. Um, pretty much in this case, yeah, yeah. We don't do the multiple rounds. I don't. I, I I've done multiple rounds when I'm in the in different different saunas. Have for me have different um, kind of rhythms and rituals, and uh, it really depends. But this one, no, it's just you know sit there till you get feeling back in your body. Right. How long? Uh, how long will you spend in the hot room typically after your swim? It depends on the temperature of the of the bay. Like the colder it is, the longer I'll stay because it takes. I, I stay until I, I break out in a good sweat, and I listen to my body. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ideas about how long you should stay in the sauna, what's safe, what's not safe. I just I've learned to listen to my body, and my body. I reach a certain point where I've been sweating for a while, and I just feel like it's time to get out. It's not tied to a to a to timer, um, or, or you know, there's, it's just something where I learned uh, to listen to my body, and that's one of the things that I think is a real. Um, it's really important to, and you get that from doing multiple saunas and being part of that culture, is that you do get tuned into your body. And I think ultimately that's that's the most important uh, thing to listen to. Should we talk a little bit about the Sweat Summit? Sure. Okay, so just to frame this up, uh, the book is written, 1978, been out uh, for quite a time. And the phone rings? Is that the best place to start about Sweat Summit? Or uh, do you want to give a quick backstory? 
Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, in the old days, a phone would have rang, but this was uh, this is <laughs> the modern era, so that was an email, and it was from a guy, Greg Moga, uh, in C- in Seattle. Uh, wonder it turned out to be just this wonderful man who had uh, bought Sweat when it came out in '78 or '79. I don't remember exactly, but he had had it sitting on his bookshelf for all many years, and and just really was into the whole subject. And at one point, I guess he, he saw something I'd written on the internet or whatnot, but he, he realized that I, I'm still alive and I'm still interested in this subject. And he's interested in this subject. And he had gone off and done very well financially. And he was wondering if there was anything he could do to help me uh, either bring out another uh, edition of the book or just further the 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 uh, the topic of sweat bathing. And we got together and... He just just a wonderful, generous man, and and to make a really long story short, we he agreed to fund a, a series of um, episodes based on sweat bathing around the world, um, and in order to get it, to get interest around it, um, I suggested why don't we do a sweat summit and bring together these people from all over the world, really, to talk about sweat, and we'll launch the uh, the, the, uh, the series that way. And he said, sure, and he, he took out his checkbook and financed it, and we brought you and, and several other people from Minneapolis and from Finland and from Germany, and wow, I can't even remember all the places people yeah, came and, from, Russia. Yep. And Mikkel, how did you connect with leaders in the field from around the world? Well, I have a pretty, pretty, and uh, pretty deep Rolodex right now. But having been involved with this since the '70s, so it's just it's once you sweat with someone and 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 you experience there's a you know birds of a feather flock together thing that happens. You just you bond with people. I, I'm friends with people that I met back in the '70s, and uh, while I was doing the research, and it's just that my Rolodex, and you know what a Rolodex is, I guess, but young young people wouldn't even know what that is. Database <laughs> is quite extensive at this point. So we got everybody together, or you did, <clears throat> through the outreach, and uh, welcomed them to San Francisco, and that was 2013, I want to say, by memory, about three yeah, years two ago? Yeah, two, two, three years ago, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was that like? I know you put mountains of work in organization into it. Um, Archimedes Banya, did that? Did they come on board early? Yeah, that was the other thing. I, I, this wouldn't have happened without without uh, this wonderful Russian uh, uh, fellow by the name of Mikhail Grotsky, and he had uh, called. He's one of the people back in the in the nineties, uh, early two thousand. I was mentioning that had contacted me with a dream at that time about creating a Russian-style banya, public banya. And I met with him here locally at Cafe Trieste, and we had a just a fantastic hour talking about his dream and his vision. And uh, then that was it. He kind of disappeared. And, and about 10 years later, I get, this, I get this email or this call from saying, I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> and I went, what, what did you do? Oh, no, you. I remember you. And, and he said, yeah, I made the, the, the banya like I, I told you I was going to do it. I couldn't believe it because, you know, that was just such a fantastic idea. And he created the Archimedes banya. And uh, and it was up and running, and and I suggested to him that you know maybe that'd be a good location for the sweat summit, and he was totally on board, and he became a like a very important part of the whole summit. And and, uh, and for it, listeners, just, to, to interrupt, sorry, uh, just for listeners, the Archimedes Banya is a functional, living, breathing, public Russian style uh, sauna in existence right now in San Francisco area, correct? And if you if you ever get to San Francisco, you look it up and. No, because it's it's a great place. It's fantastic. Yes, describe for us uh, Archimedes Banya a little bit. Well, Mikhail Mikhail's dream. Obviously, he's Russian, so he had a, a real strong connection with the Russian Banya. But he wanted to also kind of build a couple other types of uh, of baths into it. So he has a he put in a there's a hot tub and there's a really cold water plunge. He built uh, something he called a Finnish sauna. Which the Finns that came were a little, I guess, a little miffed about because they didn't know if that was the right way to describe it because it wasn't taking water on the rocks. But well, uh, well, so for the, yeah, for the Finns <laughs> in attendance, they renamed it the Swedish sauna. 
There you go. <laughs> they were really particular. But but oh in defense God. to the Archimedes Banya, uh, that sauna is very typical of North America saunas. Uh, electric heated stove, mm-hmm. um, not a lot of density with the sauna rocks because that's just how the stove is uh, uh, constructed. And further in defense... Um, to the Archimedes Banya, uh, there are there is very restrictive code on the temperature that uh, public saunas um, can can uh, can get to. So I, I'm just defending him in that uh, he probably had some constraints to making yeah. it uh, how the Finns would like it. Well, he's Russian, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He yeah. put all the BTUs in the Banya. He really did. Uh, and then he made a steam room, like a Turkish-style steam room. So he, he tried to give it a, a real international flavor, and, he, and I think he was very successful at it. He's also got a great uh, r- restaurant upstairs at Cafe, and a lot of people just sit around playing chess and, and uh, in their robes and drinking beer and, and, and having borscht and other Russian delicacies. And, and he's created a real community there. And that's, that's what's so beautiful about the public baths is how, it, how it's such a, it's, it, it brings people together that normally don't get together in that very healthy way. Uh, is, it, is it Michael? Or how, how do you say his first name? Well, he's Russian, so it would be Mikhail. Mikhail. Yeah, I connected well with him. I was uh, super uh, appreciative of being able just to hang out and have a beer with him between sauna rounds out on that deck that you're speaking about it's a wonderful view of uh of the harbor in san diego or in san francisco right you get this very uh, industrial look of of the the harbor right well it's right by the shipyard yeah yeah and so there we were you know talking about sweat you know russian banya finnish sauna and and then we touched a lot upon this this market you know the the business aspects of running a public Mm. sweat uh, facility and um, call it great foresight. I don't know, but he's tapped into these dot uh, uh, commer millennials uh, that that are looking for a wonderful, authentic experience uh, of of health and wellness and community. Um, as a matter of fact, when we were up there, there was a, a girl's uh, birthday uh, party going on. She and a co-ed thing. I mean, there must have been three or four guys and three or four girls. They were all in their twenties, kind of thing, sharing a bottle of wine, and uh, uh, just you could see the radiant glow of of, uh, of health, you know, coming out of these these people celebrating a, a birthday in a in a very unique way. Yeah, I think you, you you really summed it up what it's doing. It's doing a great job of that. And and uh, that that kind of brings us over to Minneapolis, like here in Minneapolis, uh, and we have to credit your Sweat Summit, you know, as, as a key catalyst. Uh, but we are seeing some great traction with sauna and sweat bathing here in Minneapolis, and uh, uh, not just a collection of folks who have their own saunas at their cabins or basements or backyards, but there's this emerging group of urban folks, uh, the 612 Sauna Society, uh, uh, John Pedersen, one of the uh, guests to your Sweat Summit, uh, spearheaded this through Facebook. Um, and so we're bringing forth the concept of sauna in, in, uh, in a public realm in very unconventional spaces. Uh, another another guest to the Sweat Summit, Molly, um, mm-hmm. uh, this is her, uh, she co-collaborated on uh, her second mobile sauna that's uh, that's being deployed uh, different places. It's just leaving uh, an intersection in Minneapolis, this emerging urban inter- intersection where there's three or four uh, new restaurants and uh, it had a great residency at 38th and Nicollet uh, and is now being moved uh, to this um, this kind of boatyard in St. Paul, uh, this old uh, beautiful building. Um, so that's where it's going to be for for most of February. Just this moving uh, sauna space in a public realm. That's nice. I, I love what's happening there. I I, I look at the uh, the Facebook site all the time, and I'm just so so excited and so impressed with what you're doing there. It's just great. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a, you know, John doesn't, he, he, he frowns at the term millennials, but I, I uh, he was, he was at sauna talk last night. He came over to my backyard, wood burning sauna. We had a wonderful time. Uh, his podcast will be out there as long as well as yours. Um, so the funny thing is, is he frowns at this term millennial, and and I, I had to kind of come to his, uh, 
his his rescue and say, hey, it, it's just how we package you guys. <laughs> we, <laughs> we need a we need a label for you guys. And so uh, that I think demographically speaking, um, that age group, you know, call it twenty something up to thirty something, has really embraced this uh, this thing. And it's so exciting for me too, Mikkel, because it's it's a lot of what your you know it's a spearhead of your book. It's a springboard for the foundation of what your book, a lot of what your book is about. Well, it was. It, thank you so much for saying that, Glenn. I um, I did really have a, a vision back then, and it, it became really clear to me that our culture was missing something really critical, uh, something that most cultures throughout time and throughout the world have had and have enjoyed and it just seemed like such a shame that american culture north american culture specifically was missing this and it it just seemed so strange because it was everywhere else and and i just didn't get it i didn't understand and, I, and to this day i mean i talk about this all the time but what is it about North American culture that keeps us from, you know, really kind of enjoying something that is that is probably one of the most powerful, most healthy, most integrating activities that we can imagine, and yet we somehow have resistance to it, and and to you know to to see that so clearly, especially back in the seventies, and just want to change it. I wanted so passionately to to just yell from the top of a building top listen everybody you know look this is right it's 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 yours it's you can have it uh and to see that finally it's starting to it is starting to happen here it really is and i'm i'm waiting for that there's going to be it'll be some kind of a just you know quick very like people call it disruptive technology something that will 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 it'll be a turning point we're flipped if this flips over and we're getting closer and closer to that and what i can imagine and this is something that people really you don't you don't you people don't get this but you know there's no reason why every block just like there's a Starbucks on every block now, just like there's bars everywhere, why can't there be a public sound or a public every block, everywhere, everywhere, all throughout the country? I think it would be so exciting. And and and, and why not? Why not? Well, a couple of things come to mind on, the, on that note. Um, <clears throat> the, the first of which is you could call it like a pendulum theory in a, in a sense where American culture, starting from the 50s, where there's this move to the suburbs, everybody has their own car, porches move from the front, you know, homes built in the 20s, all the porches on the front, then homes get built with the porch or deck on the backyard, fences in, this privatization thing, mm -hmm. where private space became the thing. And mm -hmm. I would say that these, this is back to the term millennial, uh, these younger folks, call them, uh, grew up with that. And they grew mm -hmm. up with uh, being hauled to school down cul-de-sacs and backyards and stuff. And they're saying enough. This mm -hmm. urban revitalization and this recognition recognition of of, of cultural connectivity mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. a real like pendulum need for that. I think mm -hmm. with with these folks in that age, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. exciting to me. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. There's hope. <laughs> so an urban sauna revival of sorts. So. Uh, can so you feel this can be really something like the yoga yeah. or brew pubs, uh, yeah. and it won't remain fringe. You think the cat's out of the bag here? Yeah, it's it, it, there's there's somebody out there right now, he or she or not in their in their garage like the proverbial Steve Jobs and 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 and, and Steve Wozniak. But there there's there's a there's somebody out there right now, and they have a kind of an entrepreneur. Spirit, and they're also somebody who understands all this stuff that we're talking about, and they they'll be drawing up some kind of a plan, just like so, you know somebody drew up a plan for Starbucks a long time ago, and that plan is gonna it's gonna be it's gonna make sense economically, and it's gonna be something that they can implement on a on a uh, wide scale, and I, I'm convinced that that's gonna happen because I you know will that be the right way to do this? I'm not sure, but I think that. Take some kind of you have to have some kind of a financial. Um, it has to make money. It has to have some practical aspects that way. Uh, but it's it's going to happen. I don't. I have no doubt about that. 
So I, I brought up the analogy about brew pubs or yoga. You know, another one that comes to mind is, uh, is are the food trucks. And the neat thing about food trucks, when you think about it, is it lowered the barrier, the cost, uh, that created a, biz, a sustainable business model uh, for folks to exercise their cooking passion with a smaller footprint, a mobile footprint, uh, mm -hmm. one without a lot of rules and regulations and restraints. Uh, and I see a parallel. I mean, I think potentially the hook toward this uh, urban sauna revival or public sauna could be uh, on the heels of the mobility factor, uh, a mobile system. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I have seen more and more of that. I think that's that's just it's one part of the of the big picture, the mobile aspect of it. I think it's a, it's a you know it's a important part. It, it's I don't think that's the only restaurants are not going to go away just because there's a you know the food trucks. But um, but I think it's 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 really interesting. I like the idea of you know these uh, mobile units that can go to to public events and and you know just like they bring in porta porta sands and yeah. you can in your portable well. A lot of public events will also bring in showers and things like that. Why not bring in a you know portable portable sweat? Yeah, uh, or, or bring the mobile sense. sauna to the plunge spot like you like you do uh, down. You you do your swim and close right close proximity is mm -hmm. uh, is your your sauna. I mean, here in Minnesota we have ten thousand lakes, and I, I can't tell you in mm. my my moments of dreaming whether I'm biking around the lakes or going for a run or a walk with my wife or whatever. I say. God, what a perfect, and usually when I have this epiphany, it's cold, it's rainy, and there's hardly anyone around, and I'm like, oh, what a dream it would be to have a mobile sauna pull up right now. Mm. Yeah, no, I've, I've had people pull up in front of my house here in San Francisco with mobile saunas. Oh, tell me a story well, that, about that. Well, one guy pulled up, literally pulled up in front of my house, and, and he, you know, he showed me this beautiful sauna he built in the back a, a pickup truck and we drove up to the top of uh, Twin Peaks <laughs> the highest point in San Francisco and he fired that sucker up and I think it was a gas stove if I remember right and we took a sauna overlooking the you know this beautiful it was a sunset <laughs> just wow. sweating away in, in the back of his truck I that was that was great I mean and, and sure. had, had you yeah. met this guy before no no this is back in the 70s like, you know, it's been he, going he, he knew about the book or how do you find yeah, it yeah 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 the book has really been my passport to a lot of different, a lot of different experiences oh fantastic so back to, back to the sweat summit so uh, uh archimedes banya became the natural uh, uh headquarters or or location for the summit uh you spent a lot of work going through the rolodex uh organizing getting folks to coming in uh then what happened well they, they this was it. Just some things are meant to be, and when they are, they just click, 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 click. Everything just clicked. Greg, with Greg Moga's support and Mikhail Brodsky's support, uh, we got people flying in. Uh, you know, we paid for people to come in from all over the country that were had some kind of special connection to the sweat bathing culture. And for two days, we we just went through everybody that was there was a, was not only an audience but a participant. So we had them uh, giving short, like 15, 20-minute talks on their specific and their areas of interest. And we just went damn through some really fascinating topics and then broke for lunch and, and, and also broke for good time sweating because we were right there in the banya itself. Um, and I think at the end of two days, not only did people get a lot of really good practical information that was shared, but also there was a community that was rec recognized. You could, you could look you know, right around you and see that th there's a lot of really smart, interesting people interested in this subject. And, and like, you know, I hope it's, you know, continued kind of like a pebble in a, in a lake that ripples just continue to, to expand from that, from that two-day summit. Um, and it's just uh, been wonderful to watch. One of my dreams has been to do that on a regular basis. It just it 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 probably will happen again. But it's something that took it takes took some money, took a lot of time and and energy. And uh, yeah, you know well, that's okay, the kind of so thing you have to let's figure out. Right on. Let's drill into that real quick. So you know, time we can make happen. Uh, uh, energy we can support and share. Money is the key thing. I mean, flying these people in was was no small task. 
uh, you have to admit, in a sense, that that was the reason why it could happen is we were able to, you were able to bring all of us together in one place. As you think about Sweat Summit 2.0 or the next incarnation of this, this ripple in the lake, as you say, how can we make this happen, say 2017, hypothetically? Uh, from your perspective, what do we need, either money-wise or spearhead-wise? Well, I think you're right. The, the energy is there. The interest is there. And I guess what we're looking for is a sponsor. And Greg, bless his heart. I mean, he's, this is not he, – he didn't set this up to, you know, to, with a blank check, checkbook. But um, so, I'm, you know, other, other than Greg reaching out, finding somebody who else that would, would find, find this uh, you know, interesting or have some kind of a economic uh, – tie with it i that's that's the problem with a lot of these things they become you know if it becomes so commercial then the minute something becomes commercial where there's money involved and business involved uh, agendas start to change and that was the one thing i was so happy about was there was no commercial agenda in the sweat summit it truly was um people who are passionate nobody got paid to come to the summit even though expenses were paid but i mean there's still time involved nobody nobody got paid and and these are when you bring together passionate people it's different when they're together and and you feel that it's all you know we're in this together and we're all working together as opposed to somebody else has a big agenda i don't know it's it's hard it's it, it's really difficult to pull these things off and and the reason that that works so well is because like i said greg moga is an amazing person and he was just like okay let's make this happen and i don't know how many people there are out there in the world like that i mean maybe there are more but mm. You know, I think they're rare. Yeah. Most people want to say, what's in it for me? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they say a good party is when you leave with uh, one, new, you know, good new friend. And I left your sweat summit with more than one. Uh, oh, I'm so glad, Glenn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I see. I seem to gravitate most to the Finns and, uh, that, came, <laughs> that came to San Francisco for the summit. summit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm more than excited to get back to Finland where... Uh, I look forward to spending more time with uh, Yarmo. For the, he's the CEO of the Finnish Sounder Society, and and Mika, you know, the co-film director, uh, mm. the fil that wonderful film Steam of Life. And uh, who are you in touch with these days from the Sweat Summit, like in in you know your recent past here recently? And is there anything brewing in your camp specifically with Sauna? Or sweat. Oh gosh, no! I've been in touch with all of them. I mean, they're, I, it's just I, I I love staying in touch with everybody. It's um, it's that's just so rewarding. But um, you know, there's the last thing that happened was just a few weeks ago. Some Finns came in from Finland. Nothing to do with um, specifically with the um, Finnish Sound of Society, but they were creating a Silicon Valley Sound of Society, and they had a meeting at the Banya. And they their their agenda now is to create a mobile sauna that they're going to drive around all over Silicon Valley, and just promote the sauna. And these are these were very accomplished uh, people that were involved with high. They're all they're all high tech people working mm -hmm. for, you know, big big companies, high tech companies. So that they invited me to come and talk to them uh, about getting this uh, Finnish group going. Are, are, and, these, uh, are these Finns that are living in Silicon Valley now? Correct. There was one guy that came from Helsinki who kind of, he, he was stirring the pot, but they're all here and um, and they're very active and very interested in, in promoting the sauna culture, specifically in the Silicon Valley area with a mobile sauna. That's sauna. fantastic. So that, I'm yeah. working with them on that. They've made me their map. I don't know if mascot's the right word. <laughs> yeah. Something to that effect. They that's, honored me, put it that way. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. You know, I, I have to interject. I mean, I just I just love the sentiment of the Finns that as a as a as a group. They're just all the Finns that I know are wonderful people, and I and I think about them in their political correctness. They're they're very polite, and I often wonder. And I I haven't had the guts to ask because uh, I haven't been to Finland in, in a bunch of years, but one of the things I want to ask Finns is really, what do you think about infrared? 
because oh god yeah oh, no, I, can, I just think have to bring that up <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's when it's called infrared sauna and when you think about a finlander who was maybe oh. even born in his sauna or his oh. lakeside sauna and the deep um the deep spiritual connection that the Finns have to their sauna and and to see it commercialized like that it's uh it's gotta it's gotta get them going Glenn, you you did have you didn't have to bring up infrared, did you? I mean, no. come on, <laughs> my gosh. Um, I, I truly don't understand infrared sauna. I, and I and I'm going to say it. I'm going to qualify it this way. I have met very smart people who are you know I consider you know health health oriented who really believe strongly in infrared sauna or infrared type heating units. Just put it that way. Well, we could call them infrared light bulb closets. If you what, exactly. Whatever. And they really are passionate about it. So I, I'm one of these people that really tries to have an open mind, you know, not so spill out of it, but I mean, I'm, I'm open to a point to a certain point and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to understand the infrared phenomena and I just don't get it. Especially after having experienced a real sauna. Now, I can understand it in this, this way. There are so many bad saunas in this country. So many awful, awful, awful saunas that maybe you get into something that, you know, with an infrared heater and you're comparing it to one of these bad ones, mm -hmm. which are all over the place. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why you might like the infrared. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Well, I look. I, I write about this on Sauna Times, and uh, uh, I. The beautiful thing for me with Sauna Times is I'm not looking to make money. This isn't a job. I just tell it like I see it. Uh, I invite others to share their experiences. Uh, and my thing is this: if there are 100 infrared light bulb closets out there, maybe 10 people will graduate toward what we call a, a true sauna or, or a real sauna. And maybe one out of those 10 will really advance their their uh, their spirit and end up with like an authentic wood-burning backyard uh, health and wellness escape. And so the rising sauna tide to me lifts a lot of boats. I think that's only going to work if, if we start to really hone in on some of these bad saunas that are out there and make it known that these are not, these are not what we consider optimal. Well, hopefully, hopefully this podcast, this interview, Sauna Times, uh, we're all about free, relevant information here, and uh, we're all into it. We want to yep. wave the authentic flag high and mighty. That's our mission. Good for you. I'm so glad you're doing this. Well, thank you. Now, so, Mikkel, uh, appreciate your time. We can go one or two directions here. Uh, we can talk a little bit about photography, or or I could ask you some rapid-fire, five rapid-fire sauna questions, and we wrap up. Your let's pick. Do, let's, let's stay with the sauna. Love it. Okay. Uh, questions are short. Answers not uh, need not be short. But uh, if you could have a kick-ass mobile sauna and bring it anywhere in the world and take a sauna, where would you choose? Space station. Where is that? The space station. And, and where is that? The space station is circling the Earth right now. It's got astronauts sitting in it. I want to sit up there looking down at the Earth and take a sweat. Do you think Lolu would be any different there? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But boy, wouldn't that be an interesting scientific experiment? Well done. Maybe this can happen with the. Oh, back to the Sweat Summit 2.0. One question I did want to ask you: uh, sponsor and money. Uh, from your perspective, how much money would be needed? Do you think to put on Sweat Summit 2.0? Oh, fifty to a hundred thousand. There you go. Anyone listening? <laughs> uh, interested, contact me or Mikkel, and we will uh, advance Sweat Summit 2.0. <laughs> uh, question two, if you could arrange a sauna session with one other person, anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would you choose? Oh, um, well, okay, so I got, I have a couple people. So two of them are dead. One would be Genghis Khan. I'm fascinated by him. It would be really fun to sweat with him. Um, um, the other one would be Carl Jung, the psychologist. Just would love to spend a little time with him. But from a more practical point of view, somebody who's living right now, uh, it would have to be Joe Montana, the 49ers uh, quarterback. Um, 
I just I think you know he he was a, he's a he's a legend in our in this area, and just as I wouldn't have to talk to him. In fact, I wouldn't want to talk to him. I just would want to know that I had sat and sweat with Joe Montana. <laughs> there you go. Sounds good. Uh, so as you think about your entire sauna routine, say from dreaming about taking a sauna all the way through the process until say after you towel off, go home and go to bed that night. What is the one specific moment in the process that you enjoy most and why? Oh, God. It's, you know, that, that's hard because it's, it's a whole experience. That, you know, it's, that's the thing about the sound is it's a holistic experience. It's not, it's a collection of small little moments, like the moment when the sweat starts to come out of your skin. I mean, there's a, it, it just there's something right there at that moment, but then also the, the moment when you're, when you plunge in the cold water. I mean, there's, it, it's, a, it's a collection of small moments that all add up. That, that's the only way I can answer that. Oh, that's a great answer. What is one thing about sauna that you think is misunderstood and that you'd like others to know? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's, oh, how many times, how many times have I been in a public sauna or with other people and they, they insist on not putting water on the rocks. Um, they, you know, oh, it's an electric stove. You can't put water. No, you, you know, please. Water on the rocks is such an important part of of the sauna experience. And, and you know, of course, that begs the the next question: is you know, how can you have a sauna without rocks? And that and that, you know, I won't even go into one that doesn't have rocks. But putting water on the rocks in the sauna is something that is so important, and yet. You know, so 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 many people just are scared of doing that. And then the, the flip side to that are the people that come in with their swimsuits in their hand and they wring their swimsuits out over the rocks. And I just I about die when I do that. I said, "Oh please, oh my gosh!" So I, those are the those are the things that really get me um, when I go into the sauna with other people, just not understanding how important it is that water on those rocks. Fantastic. I, I agree. And this is one of the byproducts of, uh, of the public sauna is uh, maybe there's a lowest common denominator factor. You could have 20 people uh, doing it right. And then you got the one Yahoo coming in there who uh, can wreck it for the others. If the, uh, and the other thing is, Glenn, you know what's really hard and really I've done this before and I, I kick myself afterwards is I start acting like I know what I'm talking about in the sauna, you know, like I'm an expert or something. And I hate it when people do that. And I hate it when I do it because this it's a personal experience. My experience is my experience. Nobody wants to be lectured in the sauna about what to do. And, and that's, it, it, it's something I've learned the hard way. Just keep my mouth shut and maybe try to be diplomatic afterwards. You know, pull somebody aside and and not 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 finger you know finger them in the middle of the the sauna itself. But afterwards, hey, you know, when you squeeze your your suit onto the rocks like that, you know you know what's in that suit. You know those pieces of nylon and and all those things, the you know the dead skin. They're all going into the rocks, and you know where they go from the rocks. They go into the steam, and you know what happens to the steam. It goes into my lungs, and I really don't want that in my lungs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's uh, I totally understand, and this is for me personally. This is part of uh, of, of what I grapple with. Uh, I own two saunas, both wood burning, one on an island in northern Minnesota, so uh, and one in my backyard in Minneapolis. And there's an intrinsic filter, so anyone who ends up in my sauna is there by invitation. So, number one, uh, they they kind of have some etiquette, sort of. Uh, understood and uh, and then number two is i can boss them around if they uh if they start doing something something off so this my, is why sauna what's that it's my sauna it's my sauna it's... quit doing that with the bathing suit on the rocks uh so this is one of the i, I would say challenges as we bring sauna forth in the public realm is mm. uh is not being preachy i i couldn't have said it any better but yeah. also uh some empathy and understanding of uh, of good etiquette yeah, absolutely. Mikkel, anything else on your end? Let's go do a sauna. I'm ready. Huh, you? Well, that was the last thing I was going to say. Uh, Minneapolis is a nonstop flight away. I can't wait. I know you'll be back in our wonderful city. Um, you have four uh, very close friends, all of which came to uh, the Sweat Summit. And, and we're just so grateful that we were able to. It took us to get 
to San Francisco uh, to, for us to bond as a group and create something in Minneapolis. You know, you know, I want to come, but I want to come and, and, and participate in a public sauna, which I don't think you even have in Minneapolis right now, is that, or, or in St. Paul. Well, Am I right about well, that? Well, uh, Molly, uh, Molly is co-collaborator in the Little Box Sauna, which, which is on wheels, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the other attendee, John Pedersen, um, he is the proclaimed sauna meister in uh, this. So the short answer is yes, and this is our best effort right now is uh, we have sauna in the public realm, uh, thanks to John, Molly, uh, and, and they were both at the Sweat Summit. And so it was a, it was a springboard for something that's building right here in Minneapolis. And uh, again, we, we have you, you only, to thank for this, because without you, there is no way this thing would be happening. You are so kind and generous to say that. Thank you so much, Glenn. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Michael, I really appreciate your time. Uh, What a pleasure to visit with you today on Sauna Talk. Thank you.